Hi there. Thanks for listening. This episode is sponsored by Matt, the Mortgage Guy, a California mortgage broker and real estate investor with your interest in mind. For good, honest advice and any of your residential financing needs, go ahead and shoot him a message at matt at themortgageguy.com or feel free to text him directly at 916-529-7600. Remember, when you're ready to apply, call Matt, the Mortgage Guy. And just so you know, for one rental at a time fans, he is waiving his $6.95 processing fee. Take care. Hey everyone, episode two with Mr. Jonathan Twomley. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Michael. How are you? Excellent. So you just had your quarterly mastermind yesterday where you bring in some just huge big shots. So I just want to sit back and listen to what you learned yesterday because I bet there was lots of little tidbits that'll be interesting for multifamily and residential investors. So uh, what you got? Yeah, so uh, it was a great day. These mastermind days are always uh, really terrific because you know we've got great speakers who come in and, and you know teach about uh, either what they're seeing in the markets or what they're currently doing or you know sort of skills around how to, how to actually do something. So we had, we had a bunch of panels yesterday. We had a panel of lenders uh, talking about what they're seeing, a panel of brokers panel of syndicators, panel of passive LP investors, uh, a, had uh, a syndication lawyer come on and talk about the changes that the SEC is making uh, to make syndication actually easier. And uh, how, and then we had a, just, a, just a panel about a big deal I was involved in recently, kind of breaking that down and talking about how to, how to grow your investor base. So, but the, what I wanna talk about right now is sort of the lessons that I learned uh, about the multifamily market and where it's going from uh, from these other professionals, and the the thing that just clearly stood out to me, and I have to say, like this is you know, I was I was wrong about where things were headed. I mean, I've been expecting a, a correction in the multifamily market for quite some time, and just hasn't happened. And not even COVID has been able to knock the legs out from under this thing. So at this point, I just see this bull market going on hmm. for at least a few more years. Like wow. I just, I, and I, th- and, and, and I think, and part of it, you know, in the last segment, we talked about this, the pent up demand that's going to break out when COVID is over, that is going to be a further tailwind behind multifamily. Like once, when people start going back to work and they start sp- spending more money, you know, I think we're going to see a big economic boom when this thing is finally over, that's gonna help multifamily. We still have a, a real shortage of housing and especially in markets where the population is growing and COVID has accelerated some of that. You know, I don't, I don't think that, I, I think it's like everything else. I don't think COVID has made a permanent shit or, or raised the level of, of migration permanently. I think it just had, it pushed a lot of people who were thinking about it already. Mm. to take action now and then those people are already done so we may actually see a decline temporarily in Mm. in inward migration to some of these states because i think covid just kind of accelerated a lot of people's plans um but it's still it's still a trend that's going to continue it's not going to stop right Mm -hmm. so in certain markets there are just a lot of tailwinds behind multifamily and and renting just because of population factors and stuff like that and low interest rates are also keeping the market really pumped up and the fact that it's hard to get yield in other places. So 
what does that mean? It means that the, the frenzy is going to continue for some time and finding bargain deals is just going to be more and more and more difficult or just continue to be difficult. So, you know, I think it, it puts, frankly, syndicators in a little bit of a tough spot because, and the reason is that if, you, if you're buying with your own money, right, and you, your time frame is till you die, right? An asset that you buy today, like 30 years from now, you're never going to think I overpaid for that asset, right? right? So it, absent some like huge economic calamity, right? Like it's just very unlikely that that asset in 30 years is going to be worth less than it was when you bought it, mm -hmm. right? But that's a situation where, you know, you're investing your own money, you are going to get whatever return you get, right? If you, you're looking at the really long game plan, you're not worried about producing a return for investors or any of these things, right? You're just buying it. In that situation, you're just, yeah, why, why would you not buy? Right? Especially if you're reserved enough, deep pocketed enough to ride out any, because there, there is going to be a correction. I'm not saying there's not going to be a correction ever. There is absolutely going to be a correction in this market, but I just don't think it's going to happen in the next couple of years at this point, hmm. unless I want to talk in a minute about what I think could spark it. Right. Okay. But, um, it, you know, as long as you ha can ride it out, then you're going to be fine. Yep. Right? Maybe some years you make less money than others, but basically you're going to be okay. Uh, the, the problem though for syndicators is that you have to produce a return to investors and investors, now institutional investors are realistic and they know that it, this is a low yield environment and they will accept low yield returns. Problem is for the retail investors, they've been trained to expect, you know, 8% preferred returns, you know, cash on cash of at least 8%, you know, overall IRRs of, you know, 15, 16, percent uh and even when the syndicators are not actually producing that they still continue to market that mm. right and and I, i've been hearing lots of stories recently about yeah i'm in this deal and it's not paying anything or i'm in this deal and it's paying three percent or whatever there's a lot of that the the syndicators who are running those deals are still marketing the next deal as yeah this is going to pay an eight percent preferred return mm. Blah, 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 even though they're not producing those returns. So, uh, but they, but the, the, the retail market has been trained to expect that. So it's very difficult to go out and say, hey, look, this is going to pay you 5%, which in this environment is a good return. And this is a solid 5%. This isn't like a ginned up 5% that if everything goes right and I, you know, it's going to, you're going to get paid. This is like a real solid five, right? But the market doesn't, the retail market doesn't want to hear that for mm. the most part because they've been, because they're like, that's not high enough. I don't like the return. It's not high enough. You know, sure. Okay. I could go and promise you it's going to be higher and then it does what it does. That's not me. I'm not going to do that kind of stuff to people, but it does, right. but it creates, it creates a marketing problem when people, when it's like, well, that, that guy down over there says it's going to, his deal is going to pay an eight. Well, he, yeah, he's saying, hmm. you know, go talk to some of his investors about whether his deals are really paying eight or not, right? And so, 
you know, I did, I did, we did have this passive investor panel yesterday. And I think a lot of people on that panel, the, the older, more sophisticated, not older, but the more experienced passive investors basically said, oh yeah, when I started, I just went for the deals that promised the highest returns. Now more sophisticated and I don't do that anymore mm. because it usually doesn't work out that way. I'd rather go with the guy who's honest, who, whose deal didn't, you know, the guy who, whose deal didn't work out as well as planned, but he communicated really well. And, you know, like, I'll go with that guy again over the guy who promised great returns and then, you know, didn't communicate and didn't produce the return. So, yeah. I, 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 but it, so, so presents, so this low rate environment, this low yield environment presents the problem for syndicators where, you know, on the one hand, the deals cost what they cost. On the other hand, the investors are demanding these high returns and it's very, very hard to square the circle. So what winds up happening is a lot of either financial engineering or creative underwriting or really high risk taking in order to try to meet the return expectations of the retail investors. Uh, and, and I think you know, that's an environment in which I continue to not really wanna play, to be honest with you, because it is very, very difficult to find a deal that's like an honest, an honest 8% preferred return, right? I mean, right. they're out there, they exist, but it's, it's very, very difficult to find them. So, yeah, the, um, the one question I wanted to ask you that I saw yesterday, uh, it might've been, what is today? Today's, it might've been Tuesday, right? Where the, where the 10 year treasury's up, right? It's already impacting residential lending, right? It's up, it's up almost a quarter point in, in six days. Somebody was calling for the 10 year to hit 3% by the end of the year. And the first thing I thought about with that was, first off, that person's crazy. There's no chance in hell it gets there in you know, this calendar year. But then I said, well, just in case, what happens? And I'm like, well, shoot, cap rates at 5% on a multifamily when you can get 3%, you know, kind of riskless. My thought was that would hurt multifamily. Is that is my logic okay? Well, I'm not yeah. calling for yeah, three. No, I mean, yeah. no, I mean, listen. Well, so so yesterday on the call, there was a lot of people said on the call yesterday on the, the day yesterday that they would not be surprised to see the treasury uh, at between one and a half and two percent by the end. Yeah, of the year. that's where I'm at. So, um, so clearly, interest rates are going up, mm -hmm. right now. There, there is a debate, and I was getting into this uh, on Facebook the other day in, in a friendly way with a friend of mine. Um, but you know, the contention being, well, interest rates don't affect cap rates, which I, which I, I don't even understand the argument. Yeah, honestly. I don't understand. Now, maybe there, maybe there was a little bit of confusion because maybe what he was thinking was, yeah, if the interest rate goes up like twenty-five basis points, it won't affect cap rates, and that's true. It's not going to go up, if, but that's not what I was talking about. I was talking about if we have an interest rate spike because of inflation, uh, you're going. It's going to affect cap rates. It can't it not. And the reason, the reason, well, yeah. it has to for a number of reasons. We we actually went through this. Remember that exercise we did? I remember about about what happens to the value of a property when cap rates go up. Well, one of the, as one of the lenders yesterday said on the call, about seventy five percent of the function that uh, creates a cap rate is interest rates, right? The other 25% is like investor sentiment, yeah. right? So, but it's basically 75%. And the reason for that 
it's not lockstep, but it's there's a correlation. And the reason for that is that, well, there's several reasons. One is that whatever your cost of capital is, you have to build in a spread above it to make a return, right? So if, if that cost of capital rises, you, you have to have a higher cap rate. You have to pay less for the property to make the same amount of money, right? So that's one thing. And the other, another thing is that lenders, right? Lenders require you not just to pay your debt service, but to have a cushion over the debt service of about 25%. So they want your NOI, your net operating income, to be at least 1.25 times and sometimes 1.3 times your debt service. If interest rates go up, that means that your, uh, your debt service goes up. So that 1.25 ratio, that requires more NOI, right? Or, and if you can't get more NOI, it requires a lower price and less debt. So cap rates will, interest rates will absolutely cause the prices of real estate to, or the cap rate to go down. Now, there's other things- The cap rate to go up. Sorry, the cap rate to go up, absolutely, yes, thank you. Uh, so um, now there's other things that could happen. I think what a lot of investors are, are kind of counting on is that if there is inflation, it'll cause rents to rise. If rents rise, your NOI will go up. And then even if the cap rate goes up as well, your NOI will go up enough to compensate for it, right? So you'll, you'll still wind up, you know, it, and it really depends on like how all these factors play yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, let's just play that out. I mean, just logically speaking, have been, been looking at the market for a long time. My suspicion is interest rates will go up much faster than your rental rates, right? You're, you have leases, one, two-year leases. They don't go all up at the same time. I mean, I get it, you know, when you live in the theoretical, but, you know, in practicality, you know, interest rates will move a lot faster than rents. Yes, they, they will. Interest rates can spike very fast if things go wrong, right? Um, mm -hmm. Or if the market gets skittish or what have you, they can, they can definitely spike quickly. Um, I, I think that um, there is, so it really depends on how fast the interest rates are going up, whether Agreed. inflation will carry the rents up at, at, a, at an equivalent rate or not, right? Um, and I think usually the interest, the inflation will start before the interest rate hikes happen, right? Yes. But as you correctly point out, you, when you have a lease, you, you know, if there's really bad inflation, if there's 10% inflation, right, your lease payment is worth 10% less at the end of the year than it was at the beginning of the year, right? Mm -hmm. Now, your debt service is locked in, so it, that ratio is still going to be okay, but maybe your expenses are going, like, you may have to pay your employees more, or the cost of inputs may rise, or energy costs may rise. Like, there's all, all kinds of different things that go into this that can affect your NOI. But one of the things that I've been hearing a lot of people saying, and this is driving driving again, the move into real estate, uh, you know, and on, another thing that I, so we talked about yesterday, which is an important point to understand is that, you know, right now, a lot of assets are just toxic, right? Hotels are toxic. Retail is toxic, right? Uh, a, a lot of people are, who used to invest in those assets are looking around and saying, 
well, what is there to invest in right you now? Office has become, I wouldn't say it's toxic, but people are wary of it right now, right? A lot of people who used to invest in those other assets are looking around and saying, what are we gonna do with our real estate allocation? Where are we gonna put it? Well, now there's only two things to put it into. There's like, there's multifamily and there's industrial, right? And so that's also causing the, the attention to real estate to continue, mm. right? Uh, so to multifamily to continue, which is keeping prices high and cap rates low. Um, that could go into reverse, right? If, if, the, if the economy, you know, if the economy, we get through COVID, it's solved, it's done, people start traveling again. I think there's gonna be a lot of money flooding into, uh, you know, hotels, retail, stuff yeah, like that. I think, there's gonna I, be a lot of bargains. Did you see, you I, know, I think this was two weeks ago, is, is it Red Roof? Red Roof's kind of a- Red Roof Inns. Yeah. yeah, Red Roof Inns. Somebody is already looking at taking them private. Uh, one of these oh, really? leveraged hedge funds. Again, yeah. and I think it's a genius move, kind of like you're right at the end of this horrible time frame. You're right, you announce it now, it takes you 60 days to get through and boom, you're in April. And we've already said earlier that, you know, once April comes, things get really good. I think there's going to be some, I think there's going to be a lot of attention on hotels kind of starting now. Because um, yeah. I do think well, it listen, gets better. Look about, you know, all of the distressed, there's a lot of people raising distressed funds right now, right? And I think there were people who were thinking that like, hey, this is, there's going to be multifamily distress. I mean, there's always distress out there, right? But I think there, people were thinking like, hey, people are out of work, they're not going to pay their rent, there's going to be some multifamily distress. You know, the, the, the uh, stimulus money has kind of avoided that, right? But there is distress in, uh, in lots of other asset classes. There's distress in hotels for sure. That seems to be where the biggest bargains are. There's distress in retail. You know, it was already distressed, but now you know, but I think also after after the pandemic, I think people have a really better idea of like what retail is not going, what retail Amazon can't replace, yep. right? And and what it can, and it's pretty clear now. So I think those assets that are you know there's going to be a rush into certain assets, right? And then there's office. I think there's going to be some office distress, and people are, you know, they're going to be investors who are like, hey, this no one's ever going to work in an office again thing is overblown. Yeah. Right. And uh, I mean, believe me, I think people are really anxious to get off their sofas and away from their families, you know, mm -hmm. and go work in an office again. Um, so I think there's going to be money moving into those those asset classes. But uh, but anyway, sort of back to our inflation discussion, you know, you're locked into a lease that people. So a lot of people have been moving into real estate in general, but especially multifamily because they're worried about inflation. And there's a lot of, I've seen a lot of chatter out there talking about hyperinflation and how real estate is, we need to protect ourselves from hyperinflation. Now, one problem with this argument is that people don't really know what they're talking about when they say hyperinflation. Like hyperinflation is like Weimar Germany, right? Where like, like prices are going up hundred percent a day. You need a, a, you know, and this has happened like in Latin America in the eighties and stuff where like, you know, prices double overnight. Yeah. You need Zimbabwe. a real bad yeah. cash to buy, mm -hmm. to buy a loaf of bread. That's hyperinflation, right? We've never had hyperinflation in the United States ever, right? It has never happened. We've had a couple of periods of bad inflation, right? Like the late seventies, you know, mm -hmm. I think after World War II, there was some bad inflation when everybody came home and mm -hmm. like, you know, 
factories, everyone was buying stuff and factories weren't retooled to make anything yet. Like, you know, so there have been periods of bad inflation, but there have never, we've never experienced hyperinflation. Hyperinflation is, real estate is not gonna help you that much in hyperinflation mm -hmm. because of the problem of leases, right? Because your leases are gonna lose value very fast. And it's gonna be very difficult, even if you go to like month to month leases, like imagine like renegotiating, let's say you own 500 units of multifamily, right? Uh, putting aside the fact that the lenders often went, remember that DSCR that we were talking about a minute ago, that debt coverage, the debt service coverage ratio, mm -hmm. lenders oftentimes will not even count month to month leases in your calculation mm. of DSCR. So they'll say, oh yeah, you collected all this money, this $10,000, uh, you know, on your rent roll from these month to month leases, we're just not gonna count that because it's month to month because it could disappear next month. So we're just not gonna count it, right? Hmm. So, so putting that question aside, whether you can even have month to month leases, imagine if you did to try to uh, constantly raise your rents to meet inflation, you're gonna renegotiate 500 leases every single month, right? To keep no. up with this, no. And what's going to happen is that, you know, your tenants are going to try to negotiate as long a term lease as possible. And you're going to try to negotiate as short a term lease as possible. And it's going to be very, very difficult. So yeah. you're basically never going to be able to get ahead of this. Now, obviously, your debt service is getting inflated away, which is great for you. But uh, that's, you know, it's going to make it almost impossible to get if, if you have to refinance. Yeah, you won't be able to refinance because the lenders are either going to charge you ridiculous rates of interest or they're just not going to lend at all, right? Because sure. their, their assets are depreciating by the minute. They'd rather, if you're a bank, you'd rather just stick it all into gold and try to write it out than actually lend any money to anybody, yeah. right? So, uh, so hyperinflation is not good for multifamily. But even if you get to sort of high levels of regular inflation, you still have this problem of you're, if it's 10%, which is not hyperinflation, people will call it hyperinflation. It's not hyperinflation. It's just really bad inflation. Uh, ten, if you have 10% inflation, at the end of the year, your leases are worth 10% less than they were when you started. And it's not guaranteed you're going to get the 10%. You know, really what you want is like a 20% increase to protect you for the next year. Yeah. And you, it's, there's no guarantee you're going to get it because wages may not keep up with inflation. Uh, so it's just, it's not, it's not a guaranteed thing is what I want to say, but mm -hmm. mild inflation, if we have like three, four, 5% on you know, inflation, like that's great for multifamily. Absolutely. Because, because your, your debt service is getting cheaper. Wages are probably rising along with that level of inflation. You can raise your rents without, you know, without your tenants feeling stressed. That's the situation that we all want to be in, right? Especially if that inflation is driven by a strong economy, mm -hmm. like that's what we, that's what we want, but you know, inflation, you know, strong levels of, un, of inflation uh, from, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, the Fed pumping money into the world is, is not great for multifamily. Now, I mean, we could dial it back and say, hard assets is probably still better than yeah. holding cat than holding cash. Well, you know what? Let's let's get into our episode three. We'll change it up from what we were going to do. I want to. Yeah, yeah. I I have an econ degree, and I actually want to talk about two types of inflation. So let's let's hmm. call this one, and then we'll talk about what I see as two types of inflation and why I'm concerned about one and not the other. 
Okay. Thank you.